Today we are finding ourselves in the in my little mini series on the book of Peter, and I'll be looking at verses ten and twelve, ten through twelve in the book of Peter. So if you have your Bibles open with you on page ten fourteen of your pew Bibles or whatever form you have your Bible, and we'll be on First Peter. The Word of God says this. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the suffering of Christ and the substance glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you, and the things that have now been announced to you through those who preached the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things unto which angels long to look. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for this service. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your beauty, your graciousness, your mercy, your son, Jesus Christ, who you sent on our behalf. Thank you for the Holy Spirit, which indwells us and illuminates us your word. We pray that as your word is preached today, that we don't become mere hearers of the word, but also doers of the word, that it transform our minds so that we can serve you with all our heart, with all our soul, and with all our might, that the world may know that the true and living God lives and reigns forever. This is in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. In the 1985 movie, Back to the Future, the main character, Martin McFly, played by Jamie Foxx, meets in a, a scientist whom is called Doc Brown, and whom he just calls Doc. Now, Doc unveils to him a machine built from a DeLorean power pipe plutonium that he swifted or stole from Liberian terrorists. After the Doc inputs a time of 1955, the day he first thought about this invention, the terrorists come back and unexpectedly gun down and, and kill Doc. Marty flees from the scene and he hops into the DeLorean and he reaches a speed that is indicated that will allow him to go back to the future. So now Marty arrives back in 1955, November 5th. And the problem is that he doesn't have plutonium to come back. So he meets a young doc and the doc says, the only thing I can, ha- I- I can fix is an electric strike. But while he meets a young doc, he also meets a young, his young mother called Lorraine. But unfortunately, Lorraine doesn't know that's his son, and she falls madly in love with Marty. So Marty is trying to figure out how to get back to 1985. As he's doing this, he realizes that the picture that he has, his family is disappearing. So doc tells him that you are alternating your future. So in order for Marty to be in existence, he has to go back to where he came from, and he has to not let everybody know what's going on. So as time goes on, we realize that Lorene is falling much and much more in love with Marty. So then Marty meets his father, who's a nerd, who's not very popular, he's not good-looking, kind of a geek, who's madly in love with Lorene, but he doesn't have the guts to admit it. So an accident happens, and unfortunately, Marty is supposed to be the one not there, but the other guy. 
So finally, Marty comes up with an idea and says, hey, let's, I'll go with Lorraine to the dance. I'll make some advances to her, and then you uh, come in and rescue her, and then she'll fall in love with you. But unfortunately, as you guys saw the movie, Biff comes in and destroys the plan, takes Marty and puts him in there. Unbeknownst to um, Marty's father, George, who doesn't know what's going on, sees Lorraine in distress. He goes in, Biff puts him out the way, he gets angry, punches Biff in the face, and Lorraine and finally get together, they fall in love, and Marty eventually gets back to 1985, all things as well. Now, why do I bring up Back to the Future at 10th? Because if you look at the book of Peter, the way he writes his book, he seems to go back forward in the future. He brings us back to history in salvation, brings us to the present, and then he moves to the future. And we see this throughout the whole book of Peter, including the way we suffer, the way we live our lives. Peter seems to be going back to the future, forward, forward, back, forward. And no evidence of this in when he talks about our salvation. He begins his book by explaining and using a word that you were chosen, elect exile. Meaning before creation was even done, you were already chosen in God. So he's going back before history and time was even there to talk about our salvation. And then he moves forward and says, now you have been separated. And because you're separated, you're going to suffer now. But your suffering is pointing to the future. You see the theme? Back, present, future. And now he goes on to describe in verses 3 to 9 the same theme. Blessed the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his great mercy, has caused us in the now to be born again for a living hope of the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Then he goes to the future, to the inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through the faithful salvation. So it's going to the future. In this you rejoice for a little while, now you suffer. So you see the theme, and now Peter in verses 10 to 12 is expanding on that. And he begins by the first phrase concerning this salvation. Well, what is the salvation that Peter is talking about? He's talking about, about the salvation that the, the readers have now. They have the full gospel. They have the coming of Christ, the death and resurrection of Christ, his ascension. So he's saying the gospel that the prophets were talking about has now been realized, and this is what you guys have now. And he points to a specific situation. He says that this message wasn't about just a concept or an idea, but it was about a person. He was pointing the gospel to a person. Not an idea, not a concept, not a theology, but a person. And the message then gives us a reason. Because the message was about a person 
who was supposed to come down and free humanity from the misery and pain that the humanity caused because of their sin. In this case, we know as Adam. So he's pointing the gospel back to the necessity of it, which is the fall of Adam. And then Peter goes on to describe, in a sense, the first time we heard the gospel. So when was the first time that the gospel was actually announced? Well, theologians believe it was in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. Here's what it says. I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and the her offspring, and he shall bruise your head, and he shall bruise your heel. So after Adam and Eve ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, Adam brought all humanity into sin and misery. And because of that, we needed to respond. So, uh, so God, instead of responding in a negative way, actually responded in a positive way and said, I have a remedy for the situation that you guys have brought yourself into. And notice what he says there. He says, an offspring, some translation may have seed, but that doesn't matter. What I want to focus on is the word offspring, which is a single person. So the gospel was already pointing to a person, an offspring, a human being that was going to come and save humanity. So here the message was to think about an offspring who was going to defeat Satan by crushing his head. Because Satan, as the Bible describes him, was a murderer and a liar, and he caused man to rebel against God by tempting Adam and Eve. And he then introduced and brought man between and made man and himself enemies of God. And because of that, both Satan and man are under the wrath and condemnation of God. So then what is, a, so what is a message of salvation of? What are we being saved from? Well, we're being saved from God's wrath. The salvation is not saving us from Satan, per se, but specifically saving us from God's wrath. God must judge sin. Because God is holy. And sin is an intrusion against God's character and his plan. So therefore, he must judge and punish sin. So the submission of salvation is about a person who's going to release us from God's wrath and judgment. And the apostle Peter is pointing us that this message was about that. And Peter then gives us the context of this message. How was this message communicated? How did people know about the gospel? He tells us the prophets prophesied. Now, what is a prophet? A prophet is a divinely appointed messenger of God whose job was to proclaim the word of God. The task of the, of the prophet was to be a mouthpiece for God. They were to speak in behalf of God to his people. And they were to announce what God told them to say. So the Old Testament, the gospel was already in the Old Testament. It's not a New Testament invention. The disciples didn't come up with the gospel after Jesus Christ died. The gospel message was already proclaimed and announced in the Old Testament. And throughout history, we see the unfolding 
in the revelation of this message. So then, what is they announcing? Well, they're announcing, which is interesting here, which Peter says is about the grace. That's interesting because when you think of the message of the Old Testament, you always think about it in the means of works, that you have to work to earn your salvation. But here Peter's telling us that grace was always the theme of the gospel. That grace was already thought about and talked about in the Old Testament. Now, what is grace? Grace is God's undeserved favor upon us. God is given to us what we do not deserve. We deserve wrath and condemnation. And I'm going to go as far as say is that God didn't even have to save humanity. God would have been perfectly okay if he didn't save Adam and Eve. Because it wasn't God who sinned, it was Adam. God brought Adam and gave him all that he needed to be holy. As we talked about in the short of catechism, he gave him a garden without any sin, he gave him a tree, he gave him a task, even gave him a wife to help him in his task. So God did not have to save man. Even today, we don't deserve our salvation. But God, being rich in mercy, gave us and had pity on us and saved us. So this message of the grace was already in the Old Testament. Abraham, Romans chapter 4 says, believed God and then he was declared righteous. So it was always not only by grace, but it was always by faith. So the Apostle Peter is telling us here that the gospel message was always about grace and always about faith. And then Peter goes on even more, and the, and the preachers and the prophets were, were looking, search carefully of what they was, the system that they were doing. Because the prophets knew that the current system that they had was insufficient to bring about salvation. Look at what Hebrews 10.4 says. For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sin. So up to that point of Jesus Christ, the way that God had established a means of salvation or a means of, of, of being saved was through the sacrifice of animals, of bulls and goats. But the prophets knew that that wasn't sufficient. So they were searching, they were seeking, looking to see that not only the person, but the time of when the Redeemer, the seed, the offspring that God told Eve and Adam in the garden was going to come. And they searched diligently. Now, to search diligently means here, it speaks of a miners who dig to the bottom embraced not only the earth but the rock to come to the ore. So they were searching carefully. They were looking at scriptures. They were looking deeply. They were breaking things down. They were carefully studying the word of God, studying the prophecy, inquiring what time in person that this person was going to come to redeem them. So now, as they were searching, Peter tells us, here what they discovered that this person, the spirit of Christ, that was indicating to them that in particular the suffering of Christ and his glories. Now that's interesting because up to that point, 
They were expecting a king, a ruler to come. Like David, to come and conquer the world. But as time went on, they studied and realized that the servant was not only going to be king, but a suffering servant. That's the book of Isaiah and Ezekiel that announced to us that this coming savior, this coming redeemer was going to be a suffering servant. So not only do we see that, but we also see the role of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit was leading them, guiding them, writing the words down, teaching the prophets how to prophesy. And it was revealing to them the time in person. But not only that, but the manner in which salvation was going to be achieved. It was going to be achieved through suffering. It was going to be achieved through pain. And so we see already the Holy Spirit working in the Old Testament. It's interesting because this phrase, the Spirit of Christ, is only used one other time in Romans 9, 8, 9. Showing and affirming that the Holy Spirit was pointing to Christ. Jesus affirms this saying in John chapter 16, verse 13 and 14, when he says this, When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And while he will declare to you the things that are to come, he will glorify me, Christ, for he will not take the, t- for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. So the work of the Spirit is not a New Testament thing. It was already in the Old Testament. So the Holy Spirit was already pointing the prophets, the kings, to Christ. And it was pointed to them, not only up to Christ, but the way in which Christ was going to bring salvation. So then, what is it important for us to know the suffering of Christ? Because we see two things here. We see that in the manner in which Christ will bring about salvation, but number two, we see the result of our salvation. Let's read it again. Verse 10, verse 11, indicating inquiring of what person or time the spirit of Christ in them was indicating when the, he predicted the suffering of Christ and the subsequent glories. So let's look at first the suffering of Christ. How did Christ suffer for us? First, Christ was born under the law. What does that mean? It means that Christ came and was born in a world that was cursed, that was broken, full of death, full of pain, full of sorrow, full of hate. That's the world that Christ came into. He didn't come into the world like Adam did in paradise where everything was good and trees and flowers and water and, and, all, that, and all that good stuff. Christ came into a crooked, rule, evil world. And he suffered under that. He was product of that. He was victim of that. He suffered. He cried for Lazarus when he died. On the, when he died, he was hungry. He was hated. He was rejected. He was ostracized. That's what he came into. The God of God, the King of King, the Lord of Lord, came into this mess that we created. Second, he humbled himself 
took a form of a servant, as we see in Philippians 2.5. What that means is that he left behind the praises and glory of the angels who were screaming day and night, holy, holy, holy. He left that, came to this earth, and became poor so that we might be rich. And not only did he come to become poor, but he also obeyed the will of the Father. Jesus, while on earth, submitted himself in his humanity to the will of his Father. This is what he says. For I came down from heaven not to do my will, but the will of him who sent me. Now, what was God's will, God the Father's will for his son? Philippians 2, 5 tells us, 2, 8 tells us, to death. Christ came to die. He became a servant, willingly served God, lived to his will on to death. Here's what Philippians 2, 8 says. And he being formed, he being found in the form of human, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So he came to do the Father's will, and that Father's will for his life was for him to die for our humanity, for our salvation, to give us hope and salvation. And this, this Savior that Peter and the prophets were prophesizing will suffer for the sake of humanity, which brings us right back to the first gospel, Genesis chapter 15, which says that Satan will cause his seed, this seed to suffer. But the seed will return and crucify and kill the Satan one blow. So the, here we see already in Genesis chapter 3 verse 15 that the Savior was going to suffer. Meaning that Satan will cause Jesus to suffer. But Jesus will overcome that suffering and destroy and, and kill Satan. And then Peter also tells us not only that but the result. The subsequent glories. Now what does this mean? Well, it means that Christ will be exalted. That he will reign and rule over creation. And because of our union with Christ, we're going to share in that same glory. It means that now that we're going to be completely conformed to the image of Christ. Right now, in this life, in this earth, we are being conformed to the image of Christ through what is called sanctification. And that is done through suffering, through the, word of, through the reading of the word, through the sacrament, through the church. But there will come a time when that will be end and we'll be completely made into the image of Christ. Because remember, the first Adam was our representative. And we reflect him. But because he sinned, we now reflect his sinful nature. Christ now, being the second Adam, is restoring that what first Adam failed to do. So in, some, so in our glory, we're going to have a body that reflects the image of Christ. And that was, this was Peter's pointing to. That this subsequent glory, that this Christ was going to not suffer so that we may have the glory. So that we may reign with him. And in an instance, Peter says, Paul says, our bodies will be made new. And we will have a new mind. 
And we will no longer be sinners. No longer will we be under the curse and condemnation of this world. We will have a new body, a new home. So Peter's telling this, the New Testament writers, this is the message. This is what the prophets were talking about. And now we have it. Now we're witnessing that glorious. Now we have received the gospel of message of Jesus Christ. And he goes on to say more that in verse 12. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you. The you means the New Testament church. You and I. This is what the prophets were doing. God was moving history to this moment of the coming of Christ. And the prophets then knew and realized that this prophet or this person is not going to be for us today. But it's pointing to the future. You see? Back to the future. He's speaking about a coming time. And then Peter's telling us here in the New Testament that we have now the full revelation of God's plan. Christ is the full revelation of God's plan. Christ has revealed God. What did he say? If you have seen me, you have seen him who sent me. If you know me, you know him who sent me. Christ then consummates. Christ then reveals God's plan. Not only does he fulfill it, not only does he accomplish it, but he has revealed it. So Christ is the ultimate purpose of our life. And the Holy Spirit then, and then here, interesting what Peter says here, he says that, in these things you have now been announced to you through those who have preached the good news to you. So in other words, he's saying that the prophets didn't necessarily reveal it to you. It was the Holy Spirit preaching the gospel to you. Meaning the, 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 the apostles. That's why we build our foundation on the foundation of the apostles. The, the apostles are the cornerstone, the foundation of our gospel. So Peter's telling us here that the gospel message that the, that the prophets were, were talking about has now been revealed through the apostles. Christ sent the 12 apostles to share the message, to preach the gospel that you and now, you and I are now benefits of. You and I are now recipients of that. We have been given the message of the gospel. And this gospel is so powerful that Peter says at the end that the angels long to look. Now that's a lot of confusion here because a lot of people don't understand what I'm saying. Well, what that means is but I imagine that the angels were waiting in eager expectation. When is this gospel going to come? When is the message of the gospel going to come? Because the angels who are known as messengers were helping to proclaim the gospel. Hebrew 2.2 2, 2 says this, For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable and every transgression or disobedience received just reputation. And what that means is that the angels will help it announce the gospel as well from the Old Testament through the New. How did Mary know about Christ's conception? The angel told her. 
How did her husband know about Mary's um, um, pregnancy? The angel told her. But the angels were looking saying, why is this God doing these great things with humanity? When are you going to bring this messenger? So I'm assuming this is probably going back from the Old Testament to the New. As the angel was waiting and eager in expectation, looking for the messenger. Because angels played a role in our salvation and redemptive history. If you don't believe me, look at Daniel. When, Daniel was, when the angel came down and prophesied to Daniel and told him the future of what's going to happen. So the, the angels were looking and waiting of the coming Messiah. So this is what we have. We are blessed to have the message of the gospel. We are blessed to have known and received Jesus Christ. We are blessed to be here in this church this afternoon because a message came to your heart. God placed that message in your heart and you're products of that. So let us rejoice. Let us be glad that the message came to us. We are privileged and blessed people. So let us wait with expectation as we suffer, as we cry, as we go through the pains of life, hoping and waiting for the gospel because we have the gospel promise. And what we see here is Peter's message is not only the truth and authority of the Bible, but that the Bible had one single message. That is Christ and him crucified. It's not a random selection of stories. It's not a random selection of revelation. It's one simple message. Christ has come, Christ has died, and Christ has risen, and he will come again. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for this message. We thank you for your word. We ask that you help us to not just be hearers, but also doers. And thank you, and to be thankful for the message that you have given us. We pray this all in Christ's name. Amen.